Hey, what up, Long Beach? Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Welcome back to the only local podcast covering Long Beach's schools, their sports teams, and our community at large. That's because we cover everything local news, and we are the562.org. I'm JJ Fiddler. I'm Mike Gardabasio. And I'm Tyler Hendrickson. What up, Long Beach? Brought to you every week as part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post. All right. It's uh, Tuesday morning, so any news you heard uh, discussed here is 10.41 a.m. on Tuesday. (laughs) If something changes at uh, 11.05 on Tuesday, you know, we'll talk about it next week. (laughs) With that being said, our guest for the week, uh, I'm very thankful to have her uh, both in my life and on the podcast, my lovely wife, Charlene Higa, author of the acclaimed Teaching from Home weekly column about what it's like to be a teacher and a parent uh, during this very bizarre school year that we're all living to living through. Shar, hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. The last time we had you on this show, we were talking a lot about how people were adjusting to everything online and that there were some positives and some negatives. Give us an update. How are you, how are you doing? How are the kids doing? How is life online as a teacher? Well, it's still hard. <laughs> it's still difficult. But um, one thing that I think is true of, of any year and, and you know, any time is that um, everybody's really resilient and flexible. And so there's some things that were so strange um, a couple months ago that now have started to feel like a little bit of a rhythm, a little bit normal. Um, so we had our first grading period that was um, that just finished. Our first quarter was over. So that that uh, exposed a lot of, of uh, new technological issues and new things that were um, difficult and, and, you know, made us reassess some things. But there's a lot that's kind of normal. We start at the same time and I see the same uh, faces, or I should say the same face because I only have one kid who turns his camera on. Um, and, you know, hear the same voice. I'm starting to get to know their voices a little bit. Um, so, yeah, some things seem like kind of like Thanksgiving break in, in any year, which is a little bit weird to think about. I know one of the things when I, when I talk to teachers, you know, that they love the opportunity to work with kids one-on-one and kind of get those breakthroughs, right, where they're struggling with something and, you know, they're finally able to, to get it and, and take that next step. I imagine that there's so many more complications with virtual learning and, and having everything be, be online, but are, are you still kind of having those moments where you're getting those breakthroughs with kids and you're you know, you're having those points where you can kind of celebrate the, their successes and the fact that they're learning and improving, or are those uh, pretty pretty scarce in this these last few months? It's hard because it's it's so different. You know, the the way that I am used to interacting with kids is very much like I talk to them one on one. I get down, I you know, squat down next to them at their desk. I you know get all up in their face, all well within the six foot. <laughs> Um, you know, they're having a hard time. I put my hand on their shoulder, like all the things that we're not allowed to do anymore, right? Um, and so uh, that's that's been really difficult because a lot of what goes on now is is it's got to be text based, you know. So they'll submit something, I'll write them some feedback, and then hopefully they read the feedback, and then maybe they respond. And so um, that's that's really difficult. But um, but I'm trying to find new ways, I'm trying to figure out ways to reach out and make connections. The biggest thing for me this year has just been to um, to make personal connections whenever I can. Um, because everyone feels so lonely right now and so disconnected that um, that that's kind of my priority is trying to make sure that the kids understand that they're still part of this community and that I care about them. And it's really, um, 
it's really kind of sad how much that matters in both directions. Like these small little, um, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll do like a check-in with the kids and say, you know, what's been helpful the past couple of weeks, you know, what's helped you feel supported, whatever. And I'll have kids say, it helps that you ask us how we're doing. And it's just really, it's the fact that that's a big thing that's noteworthy for them. It really is, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of sad because normally in a normal day, they would have hundreds of interactions with people where there'd be a, you know, what's up, how are you, that sort of thing. And, um, and it's lonely for them. And it's lonely for me as a teacher. Um, I was sharing with one of my colleagues that um, I had a student unmute so that I could hear him laughing at my joke. And it was like the nicest thing anyone's done for me, right? Because like, there's so much silence from my end um, that just having that moment of like, oh, he's, he's laughing. Or I have the one kid who turns his camera on. I pin his video <laughs> so that I can like, oh, he thinks it's funny. <laughs> oh, he's nodding along. He gets it. Um, it's just, it's so different because there's a lot of, you know, during a normal school year where I'd say something and I'd be able to gauge by looking around the room and say like, oh, they're understanding or oh, they're confused. And now if there's silence, I don't know whether it's silence because man, I made a really good point and they're really thinking about it. Or it's silence because they've all gotten up and left. Or like, is my, is my microphone on? Like, I don't, it's hard to to gauge that. So normally I'm very, like, I'm fairly hands-on in terms of like, oh, you're not getting it. Let me go explain it to you. Or you look like you're having a bad day. Let me go and talk to you. You know, kid walks in and like, usually you say good morning to me. And today it was more like a, eh. so let me, let me check on that kid today. It's like, I don't know these days. And so that's, that's been really hard because I know in any given school year, I know that there's always a couple kids who really need me, um, who really need me to check on them. And unless they reach out to me, I don't know that that's the case this year. I know that that those kids are still out there, you know, because there's a couple kids every year, right? So it's at least a couple kids this year, and I just don't know. Um, and so that's been that's been tough. So I'm, you know, a couple times there'll be a kid who'll message me privately in the Zoom and say, "Hey, this is going on." So I'll just I'll write myself a note, check on that kid next time, you know, send them a private message, say, "How's your cousin doing?" Like, hey you know, are things better with your mom, whatever, just, just so that they know I'm still paying attention and still listening because, um, cause they don't know me starting at this year, last year, at least they knew me. So this year I just like, I want to be, I want to be for them, the teacher that they know cares. So if that's all they learned from me this year, like that's fine. You know, <laughs> that's fine. I want, I want them to still feel like they've got some touchstone in the world. That I think you just sort of, uh, walked me into the question that I wanted to ask you. You are, uh, I'm on record as saying that you're much smarter than me. Um, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about, but I don't really have an answer for it. So I'm curious as to your opinion. Um, I think if you were to get a hundred teachers and a hundred parents and a hundred kids into a room, which obviously we can't do, um, <laughs> if you were to ask them, like, what is the purpose of this school year? You know, what what should happen in the first semester? I think you might get, 300 completely different answers, right? Um, there's a lawsuit against the school district right now, which we're obviously not asking you to comment on, but, th but that's saying basically um, poor kids don't have access to education the same way that, that wealthier kids do because they don't have good enough internet. Uh, they don't have you know, MacBooks at home. They're using district issued Chromebooks, which as we have seen in our household can occasionally have um, issues. And then there's people who are saying, hey, this is a year, regardless of what the year looks like, kids had to go to school during World War II, like we don't want the kids to fall behind. There's this wide spectrum of 
sort of like, what are we all doing right now for this first half of the school year that's going to be virtual? I, I'm curious, with the banked experience of three months of teaching this way that you have, you know, you just kind of said it, like, if, if the kids know that you care about them, and that there's someone outside the house who cares about them, that's a win for you. But as a teacher, what are you sort of hoping to accomplish with, say, an AP English class or something? I mean, are, are you do you still have belief that it's like we can give college level type education or is it just like, Hey, let's all help each other get through this kind of like crisis that we're all living through. How do you balance all of that um, as one person <laughs> who, who yeah. doesn't necessarily have clear directives on what the answer to that question is? No, it's, it's hard for a number of reasons, including the lack of clear directive. And that's not anyone's fault. That's just the fault of the system. It's every individual teacher, um, even sometimes on individual days, having to make that decision for themselves as to how that balance works. Um, because we have these priorities that don't always match up with each other. So we have the priority of our kids, you know, social emotional health is really paramount right now. Like that's really what we're we're um, working towards and we've got a lot of professional development about that we have you know many many lessons about how to check in with kids and all sorts of things we also have the fact that we've got students who want to go to college and um, who are competing with other students who maybe do have access to resources and maybe do have you know maybe their schooling wasn't as upended as ours was um, we've got or maybe they're who, in orange county and they're even i mean even just a couple miles yeah. away from where your students are yeah. they're in person you know Right. And um, we have parents with different levels. I mean, some parents are, you know, just the thing, for example, about grading, right, whether or not we're giving real grades or whether we're doing pass, no pass, like we did in, um, in the spring. Um, there's been like really emotional pushes in both directions and everybody's right, right. is the problem. Everybody's right, but there isn't one solution for every student. Um, and for, for me, I try and think about the, the, kind of the long term and, and the big picture. Um, yes, what ideally my students would be getting the same quality of education this year as they, um, as they have been in previous years. Like ideally my AP students would be able to read the same number of things. Um, we'd be able to do the same activities and they'd be as prepared for the AP test as any other year. But this is not that year. Um, and so I think instead about, you know, my, my 13 years in the school district, right, K through 12, my 13 years in the school district, and I think about how much did any one semester, any one year in terms of what, you know, the rigor of the learning, how much did that affect me? Really not that much. What affected me was more about teachers who cared, um, reading things and learning things that were exciting to me, and it's not about any one particular lesson or in any one particular unit. It's about just the love of education in general. So if my students can come away from this year not feeling like they're giving up on education, then that's, to me, that's kind of a win because there's so much that would make it easy to walk away and say, this isn't, this is just not for me. I'm, I'm giving up now. I'm going to find something easier to do. So if, if it can be like, Hey, we're going to read one interesting thing and maybe you'll still be thinking about it in six months. Like that to me is pretty good. Like that's good yeah. in any year. And it's especially yeah, good in a pandemic year, right? I, I'm not, I'm not achieving that as a 36 year old adult. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and so, so I think that to me, that's kind of where I come down on it. Um, the issue is you mentioned World War II, you, you know, the 1918 pandemic, all sorts of things where education didn't stop. Right. But um, there's a big difference between now and then, including the fact that we made a decision as um, a country that we want all kids to get education, um, which is not how things were in previous generations. So in previous generations, it was either you were like, you know, a school type kid or you weren't. And so if you weren't a school type kid, 
we didn't worry about educating you, right? It was like, you got to get through it. And then once you've reached 18, you can go do something else. And now we have this idea where we really want all kids to have access to education. That's why we have things like content standards, right? Common core and that sort of thing. We have things like content standards to say when kids leave this school, they will have these things down, mastery of these things. And that doesn't stop. We didn't like, as a country decide, okay, content standards one through three, we're not doing anymore. So we're still supposed to try and teach the standards because we've decided it's important. But at the same time, we're like, and some kids just really need a hug, you know, and there's no content standards for that, you know? Um, that was a incredibly well thought out answer. And so I'm going to throw another uh, unfair question that's way over your, your pay grade at you. So you teach, uh, you teach kids at Jordan High School who are almost entirely North Long Beach residents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's sort of a growing uh, understanding of exactly how inequitable virtual learning is for the poorest kids in Southern California and across the country. The LAUSD released um, a chart that showed that exponentially, the, 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 more, uh, the poorer you are, the more you're failing in their school district. Um, and I know that the, the LBUSD has sort of done some things to try and mitigate that. And obviously, there have been free hotspot uh, distributions and Chromebook distributions, all of which to me as an outsider seems like reasonably about what could be expected for a school district to do. And so I'm not suggesting that it's been a ma- like a major failure of the school district. But the fact remains, we get it in the 562 DMs constantly that, that kids who are using these hotspots get booted all the time that they drop connections all the time. Um, we've even seen that, you know, we've got good internet in our house, but we've seen our, our son have issues with the Chromebook. Um, as a teacher whose job it is not to solve this problem, if you had all the resources in the world, how do you fix it or try to bring it closer together to where we're not just acknowledging every day that like, hey, the poorest kids in the city and in the county and in the state um, are just, you know, in a much tougher situation. You know, how do we how do we handle that with the understanding that, you know, uh, income inequality exists? That I mean, kids get a better education if they're richer in normal times as well, right? I mean, they're going to have access to tutors and resources that you and I and most kids didn't have growing up. So. What are your thoughts on that? And again, if I could write you a blank check um, from someone else's bank account, not ours, um, how would you go about trying to solve that problem to some extent? Wow. Um, I, th- I think, well, so first of all, I'm, I'm going to dodge the question a little bit because um, there's, a, <laughs> there's a reason that I'm a classroom teacher and not trying to do anything about solving any bigger problems. Um, that's, not, that's not my wheelhouse. But I will say about um, kind of what I see the issue is, is that one of the things that this pandemic has really exposed is that um, in addition, you know, we've talked a lot about how it turns out that the public school system was really providing um, the, the backbone of society in terms of like childcare, right? Um, but one of the things that I think this is really exposing is just how much the, um, how much having a place where students could go and use common equipment um, was leveling the playing field. Um, because, uh, and, and you know, not, not perfectly, right? We have, um, there's a California um, Act called the Williams Act, which literally makes it um, it, the school districts had to be told that um, there needed to be up-to-date textbooks for each student, right? Because there were instances where some poor school districts 
you know, everyone was sharing one book from, you know, 50 years ago. So um, it's not equitable. Like you said, poorer students were getting, you know, less access to education anyway. Like it's not but, breaking news to tell people that poorer people have a harder time right. in America. Right. But at least it used to be that when you walked onto school campus, you were, everyone was using the same resources. Everyone was on the same internet using the same, you like we've had Chrome carts at Jordan for the past couple of years. So we've had Chromebooks in our classrooms and it was everybody using the same Chromebooks. Like in my classroom, my students, I had 40 Chromebooks in my classroom. If one of them didn't work, I told them to switch out for one of them that did, right? Um, the biggest thing for my students, I think, from what I've seen compared with what people are complaining with online, you know, complaining about online has been that for upper middle class and rich kids, school is the only thing that's going on for them, right? right. So it's about like lack of motivation. It's about, you know, trying to stay focused when you've got, you know, your computer open video games and stuff like that, which are all like very well, I, real issues. I, I, yeah, I, was, I was about to say, I think, I think sometimes when we talk about this, I, I, don't, I don't mean at all to imply that those aren't real issues, no. right? No, yeah, I, I tell mean, my students all the time, for if, everybody. if this had happened when I was in high school, I don't know how I would have coped. Like you and I, and Tyler as well, but to a lesser extent, but, and, and JJ to a greater extent, um, you and I, when we were in high school, like we, we didn't have smartphones, right? Like we, the, the biggest thing to distract us was we could like kind of write boobies on graphing calculators, right? Like that was like, <laughs> that was the big thing. But, um, you know, Tetris and that sort of thing. But we didn't have the ability to, to do social media in class anyway. I tell my students, like, you know, I went all through high school without once pulling out my phone in class. Like I didn't have a phone. Right. That was not an issue, right? So I'm thinking about me in high school with, a, with the ability to do anything. And I was like, you know, I was a 4.0 pace kid. I wasn't like someone who like didn't, you know, pay attention in class, but it would have been really hard for me. So I give them props every day for showing up. But for my students, that is not what, that's not all that's going on for them, right? My students have, um, in, addition to, um, in addition to trying to stay focused for school, They've got like little siblings to look after. They've got nieces and nephews. They've got multiple generations under one household. Their parents are working. Their grandparents are working. They've got after school jobs. Um, I have students who've messaged me privately to let me know that, you know, they're having immigration issues in the middle of the pandemic, right? That, um, that you know, families have lost jobs. I have a student who's, um, whose family member is currently you know in the last stages of cancer and all of these things were just like every couple weeks it's like oh and back in the hospital and back you know and we can't visit him all these things um i have i have multiple students who aren't even in long beach right now because their families have moved to colorado or to pennsylvania or across the country and for upper middle class and rich kids a lot of it is like school is your job right now and we say that a lot school is is our job but for our students, like it's not like a job because a job you could say this is too much and, and I'm not going to do it, right? But there's this, this expectation that you're going to keep doing this job and you're going to be even more mature and more responsible than ever before. And they've got other priorities and they've got for each, you know, each student in, in one class, I've got some who are on Chromebooks, I've got some who are using their phones. My kid who is has moved across the country, she's on her phone while she is walking around in a completely different time zone, right? Um, and she's on her phone, she sometimes has a computer that works, sometimes it doesn't, um, sometimes they're driving, like all sorts of things that um, it's just not equitable. 
And it's not equitable to expect that kid to be able to come to, you know, to, to complain about kids being lazy or to complain about them not being engaged. Like asking that kid to do the same work and have the same quality of work as some kid whose biggest challenge is that they would really rather be playing video games. Like it's really, it's not, I know that you wrote the column about it, Mike, but there's, it's really not the same circumstance for everybody. And that's, again, that's always the case, right? There's always- And it's bad in the best case, you know? <laughs> students who have a bunch of, you know, a bunch of stuff going on outside of class. And for some of them, being in class is the only respite for that, right? Stepping out of their home and being able to be on campus in a learning environment for a couple hours a day is the only chance that they have to really just focus on being a teenager. And now they don't get to even leave their homes. So I've had students who private messaged me and told, told me, you know, these, you know, these are my pronouns, but my parents don't know I'm out. Right. And so the, all of these things were like, normally they'd be able to get out of the house and have this experience where they are themselves authentically and just a high school student for a while. And instead, you know, I had a student last week who, while he was um, typing an answer to the chat, one of his 11 cats walked across his laptop. And so we got all this like random letters and everything. It's like, you can't walk away from that. It's all of a sudden, this is your life. You're trying to be a high school student and a member of your family at the same time. And it's, it's too much for a lot of these kids. So. First of all, first of all, that cat was trying to talk to you and you just weren't listening. Oh my listening. gosh. Okay. I of course made him turn the camera on and show me all of his kittens. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Se second of all, I was playing snake in class. Was I, the, was I the only one not playing snake? Come on guys. Um, and, and third of all, and my last question is, we talked about it before about how the parents were struggling with trying to help the kids and vice versa. What is the level of parent involvement for you right now? Because in a normal school year, usually it would just be, you know, maybe you see them on back to school night or something. Are you still working with the parents more now than ever before? Um, I'd say uh, less for me, um, less, but also it's been interesting because there've been a couple of times where it, I've found out that the parents are paying attention um, in like unexpected ways. Like I had uh, one of my students private message me in Zoom and said, my mom likes your laugh, which really threw me off because, <laughs> because you guys know me. I know that I tend to be a little bit self-conscious. So now I'm thinking like, oh, now there's someone who's critiquing my laugh. <laughs> and so, um, so that, that's been, I've had a couple of parents who've messaged me and um, the, the way that Canvas, our new learning management system works is a little bit different than the way it's, it's worked in the past. So it's a little bit harder to see grades. It's a little bit harder to keep up with, with certain things. So I've had a couple parents who've messaged me and said like, I just realized my student's not turning any work. You know, let me know how things are going. But it's really, um, it's different. And again, like parents have stuff going on too, you know, parent, and it's, it's much harder to contact them now. Um, when I was at Poly, it was fairly easy to send an email, um, but a lot of my parents don't use email. Um, and so it's a matter of, you know, from, from my perspective, it's a little bit harder for me to make a phone call home, obviously from my own house, than it would be to say, like, okay, I've got a couple minutes after school, especially, you know, at least 70% of my students are Latino and a lot of their parents don't speak English. I don't speak Spanish. And so normally I'd be able to pop next door and ask my coworker, hey, can you translate for me? Um, and it's not that easy now. So um, it's one of the many plates that we've got spinning in the air right now. And it always feels like there's at least three that are actively falling. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of them. Um, we're working on it. 
for working on it and it's hard. And so I'll see some of my coworkers on social media um, or my colleagues throughout the district and they'll, talk, they'll be talking about these like wonderful things that they're doing for parent involvement. Um, and then I'll also see, and I'm working, you know, 70 hours a week or whatever. It's like, something's got to give. And, um, and it, it's really hard for me, again, 4.0 pay student to feel like I'm letting things fall through the cracks. And especially knowing that that, um, that is affecting my students and, and affecting what, you know, what my ideal uh, job performance would be for a career that I care about. Um, so that's, you know, a work in progress and trying to get you know, making sure that I'm making contacts with students. I, the um, lady who cut my hair yesterday was telling me that she got this like beautiful email from her, her son um, goes to Wilson. Um, her son's uh, teacher emailed her and said, you know, your son, your son is a pleasure to have in class and all these wonderful things. And she saved it and screenshot it and she showed it to me. And I was like, okay, I got to send some nice emails out. <laughs> I'm seeing how much that matters, right? And I know that it matters when I make positive phone calls home. Um, but it's just, it just always seems like, okay, but that's one, one thing too much. So that's got to put it at the top of my priority stack for a little bit so I can make some, some, uh, some contacts with parents. I know that that matters. So I would say one rare positive of the pandemic for me has been uh, getting to hear you teaching, which I've known from all the things that your students that we've covered have said over the years. I've, I've known that you're a great teacher, uh, but it's been wonderful to hear the amount of care and, uh, emotion that you put into, you know, trying to help these kids through the, the period they're going through. So I've been grateful for that and uh, grateful to you for coming on the podcast as well, to a lesser extent, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank and you, you like my laugh, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Char. We really appreciate it. Enjoy this of time course. off. All right. I'm thankful for you guys. You guys are the best. A recent tradition for me and my family over Thanksgiving is enjoying way too much food from Naples Rib Company, but really, can you ever get too much of their ribs, brisket, sausage, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese? Mike is currently mainlining their mashed potatoes right now in preparation for Thanksgiving. Be sure to get down to Naples Rib Co. Put in your order if it's not too late. This holiday season is perfect for grubbing out with Naples Rib Co. Please get down to 2nd Street. Support the people that support Long Beach Sports, and no one does it better than Naples Rib Co. Normally when we head into the holiday episodes of What Up Long Beach, uh, they're very upbeat and we're all excited because we're going to get a couple of days off and you know maybe we're looking forward to games or something. And uh, obviously that's just not the world we're living in right now. But in addition to the uh, difficulty that we're all going through with the pandemic and the closures of everything, um, I, I wanted to highlight a, a really horrible, tragic story uh, that we covered from last week with the uh, tragic shooting death of uh, Carl Lewis, which is a kid that I think uh, all three of us knew when he was a student and a basketball player at Compton High School. Um, but he was killed last Tuesday uh, in his car, uh, eating, a, eating a burger across the street from Compton High School. Um, someone ran up on him and, and shot him uh, 10 to 15 times um, before he could get out of the car. And uh, Carl, is, he was 19 years old. Uh, his dad's funeral was uh, the next day, uh, and he was uh, in town uh, partially for that, but partially also because uh, he'd been going to a prep school in Canada that had been closed down because of the uh, coronavirus. So he he was uh, sent home, and uh, you know this happened. Um, and I, but I wanted to talk about it because number one, it's a horrible tragedy, and there's not going to be a ton of media coverage of it. And we know that because he's the third 
player or future player associated with the Compton High School basketball team who's been shot to death in the last four months, uh, which is an insane thing to wrap your head around. But Samaje Miller, who we covered the candlelight vigil for, was killed in July. He was 14 years old. Uh, Millian Colquitt, who is a Compton Centennial uh, player who was uh, in the process of transferring, was killed uh, in October. He was 16 years old, and then Carl uh, killed at 19 last week. And um, in the process of doing the obituary, I interviewed uh, Tony Thomas, uh, you know, who was DeMar DeRozan's high school coach, who's a Compton alum, whose dad's name is on the Compton High School gymnasium. Uh, we talked to DeAnthony Langston, who's a Long Beach State uh, alum and former Hooper who runs the Real Run League uh, in Linwood. And uh, we talked to Njamila Williams, who's been an English teacher at Compton High School for 20 years. Um, and who's uh, also a Long Beach native whose son, uh, Zafir Williams, played at Poly and her daughter currently plays at Poly. So people with a lot of perspectives on a lot of things. And, and we're just kind of trying to figure out, you know, like, what the hell do we do, guys? You know, I mean, this is uh, beyond tragic. You know, I mean, I don't think there's any way to even put it into words. But you're talking to a high school coach who's lost three kids to the same kind of violence in this way in such a short span of time. And you know, I don't know. It just feels really hopeless. You know what I mean? I think we were all kind of texting each other and the, you know, Carl Lewis, I didn't know the two other kids, Carl Lewis. I mean, I, I think Javante Jackson introduced Carl to me when he was in sixth grade or something, you know, I mean, that was a, and he was six foot eight already <laughs> or something, just an unbelievably talented kid. But I don't know. I, I, I think uh, there's obviously understandable, valid scientific medical reasons behind the closures that we're all living through. But you do also look at these situations and go, uh, this is an emergency. It's a public health emergency. And, and we've got to figure something different to do for these kids because this is a cycle. I, I actually hate it when people say cycle because it's not a cycle. We don't end up where we began when you lose teenagers, right? You're in a worse place. Uh, so it's not a cycle. It's this horrible road that we're on. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know what to do to, to change directions. The city of Compton has had to do this before. It, it's had to take a look at itself and kind of figure that out. And it did. And those things do kind of not like you said, Mike, it's not a cycle, but those things comes in waves and recedes and then comes back again. If I can do another cliche, you know, idle hands or the devil's workshop or whatever, like yeah. if the fact that there isn't stuff going on that, doesn't take attention leaves more time for for horrible things to happen and the world is chaos so you're right in that you look at it and you're like whoa we can't possibly do anything but I also think you're right in that the first thing that needs to happen is awareness and uh, luckily we're in a situation uh, where we can sh share that awareness and hopefully that can uh, you know make stuff like this less likely in the future well and yeah. you know this the, the, this whole year is, has, has obviously been full of various kinds of tragedy, you know, I mean, and, you know, whether related to the pandemic or completely unrelated to, uh, to the pandemic and everything surrounding it, um, you know, obviously these, the issues of violence, um, you know, predate coronavirus, um, and, but it's, it's brought to the forefront in a different way, you know, and it's a lot of those safeguards that we have built in. And, and for us as sports writers, we see it as athletics, you know, we see, that having that structure, having that team environment, having, you know, someone that isn't a member of your family, but that, that cares about you like, like a father figure, you know, and, and a lot of coaches 
you know, take that responsibility very seriously. And, you know, and, and Tony Thomas is, is a great leader and, you know, a father figure for his players. Um, you know, whether they ask for that or not, it's just, he is a, a leader who's been in that um, community for, for decades and, you know, it has the best interest of his players at heart. And so, you know, you feel for, for a guy and, you know, you feel for these families that it's just like, you know, they hear about stuff on the news with, with COVID and these lockdowns and, people wanting to go to college football games and, you know, complaining about things being canceled or forfeited. And, you know, I mean, we, we shouldn't not be upset about that, but at the end of the day, you know, some things are a little bigger than, you know, the, the entertainment and there's, you know, real life and death consequences. And it's, it, it's really tragic. And you hope that collectively as a society with all the anguish that we've collectively gone through during this year to, to different extents, different degrees, but that we can kind of assess, you know, what are we really doing for one another? What do we want society to look like? You know, are we protecting our most vulnerable? Um, you know, this, these are not, you know, kids that could pick themselves up by their bootstraps. They're teenagers, you know, some, right. you know, Samaje hadn't even started high school yet. You know, it's, it's, this is just, they're, they're caught in this, in this trap. And, you know, we, we just have to find a way to, to try to make things better incrementally. We know it's not going to change overnight, but we, we have to do our best to call attention to these, these serious problems and try to find solutions and not only focus on necessarily what we see on, on the national news. You know, this, there's stuff in our communities that we have to be connected to and, and look out for one another. And yeah. I also wanted to make sure that we say something about uh, repercussions and choices and things of that nature. If a community really wants to stop violence, the community needs to stop violence. The people who were responsible for these killings need to be brought to justice. Bottom line. If you don't live in a place where these people are punished for what they do, it's only going to get worse. They have to find the people responsible for this, both older and younger. It does, I don't think it should matter. But there need to be repercussions for those choices so that the community can heal and make sure that the people who might make those choices in the future know they're going to have to pay that price. Yeah. The problem is, you know, you, you have any, yes, obviously, you know, um, I totally agree with you. The problem is you, you have these cities that were zoned and by design kind of forced into a kind of poverty where uh, there's so few choices that these kids feel like are available to them. And it creates a, a situation that I think of as a, I think of it in terms of margin of error, right? Um, you could have found, uh, and look, Carl Lewis was someone who, you know, I knew every coach who knew him, every, every person I talked to talked about, he was a really big kid with a bad temper. You know, he was a super sweet kid, but he also fought a lot. I saw him get into a fight on a basketball court twice, right? And I was that way in eighth and ninth grade. I fought a lot and uh, my mom, our family situation was sliding into uh, pretty deep poverty. Um, but I was a white kid who lived in the suburbs. And so there was a margin of error for me to have been a kid who was violent for a couple years and a kid who was figuring things out. Um, and no one shot me in my car over it, you, you know, and I, that, that's what I come back to is, um, whether you see it as the cause, whether you see the cause of it as governmental decisions over the last century, or um, you know gangs in that neighborhood who are preying on these kids, both of those things are the cause of this, right? And regardless of what you see it as, no one should, 
everyone should understand that a 19 year old kid should not have to go a hundred for a hundred on a, on a personality test to make it out of the city alive. Right. Um, and so we're going to have a story out next week, um, which, you know, we'll probably talk about in the podcast again as well. But, you know, I asked all three of the people that I interviewed, you know, how would you fix this as people who actually know this community and are not, um, you know, just a politician with a higher goal or a, a protester um, with a bullhorn for, for one march? You know, you've been here for 20 years. Every day of your life, you put this work in for, for decades. How would you fix it? And, you know, I thought it was. Um, I, I thought it was not surprising to me that all three of them had a completely different way of fixing it. You know, what Tony Thomas is hoping to do, which I think is wonderful, is to work with DeMar DeRozan on creating some mental health outreach for kids in Compton, because there's going to be fallout from this. Um, you know, there's a little girl, there's an elementary school student in the car next to Carl Lewis's car when he was shot. And so she saw this happen. And that's going to be the way that she lives and grows up with having seen that happen. Um, but Tony said, he's like, you know, everyone knew that Carl needed more help than we were able to give him. But a lot of these counselors, a lot of the people whose job it is to help these kids, they were afraid of him, you know? And at some point you're a high school counselor, you're whatever, you're looking at this kid going, do I risk myself? Do I put myself on the line to try and help this kid? Or do I make a business decision to clock out at 2:45 and go home safely to my family? Um, and I understand why the counselor or the public high school employee feels that way, but we also know that we need to do better by the kids. So I'm hopeful that Tony and DeMar, who obviously know that community very well, can be a part of doing something. Um, you know, DeAnthony Langston proposed basically a civic, uh, a civic solution. He said when he was growing up in, uh, in Watts and, and in West LA and, uh, in the, in the 60s, you say, you know, 70s, he said, we had programs everywhere. And that's true. Even, even when I was a kid, you, you know, you rode a school bus, you got on a school bus that took you to a school all summer, there are free parks and rec programs all over Long Beach and Compton. And particularly in Compton, those programs are shut down right now for budgetary reasons, not even necessarily the coronavirus, you know, they just don't have the money to keep them open. And he said, for us, <coughs> excuse me, Anthony said for us, we all knew when school was getting out, you're going to this camp, I'm going to this camp, that's what we're going to be doing for the next month. Um, you know, so he, that's what he wants. He wants to see more community investment and in getting programs for these kids that, like JJ said, keeps them busy. To that end, and Jamila's solution was, you know, even if it's not medically safe to just open the schools back up and have all the kids and teachers back on campus together, she said, we have to do something different for the kids now. Um, and if that's paying, people in the community uh, hazard pay or teachers hazard pay to take large rooms of kids um, or to do outdoor park classrooms or something, something different has to happen in the immediate short term um, because it's very obvious that what's going on right now isn't working. And I'll say this, we've been very fortunate that we have not had um, this kind of death in Long Beach, but we've been very close. We've had teenagers get shot in Long Beach uh, during this pandemic during school hours. Um, the Long Beach Post, as we're recording, put out a story saying at Atlantic and Hill Street, someone just heard gunshots and called the police. So, you know, these are problems that need to be addressed immediately. And we can talk about those root problems, you know, how, how do you fix the larger problems in a community? But you also have to acknowledge if you're a policymaker that this is an emergency today on Tuesday that needs to be fixed. 
because it's going to be an emergency tomorrow and it's going to be an emergency next week. Mike, you and I met in college. We both worked for the Union Weekly. And every November, we would put together the thank you, F you list. <laughs> that's that's where, not what we called it. <laughs> that is not what we called it, but hey, this is a family-friendly show, okay? The thank you, F you list included a lot of people that we wanted to thank and a lot of people we wanted to say F you. And it was one of the more sometimes fun, sarcastically, sometimes yeah. not sarcastically. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was one of the more fun <laughs> articles that we would write together because it would be it would start on like a Thursday and then by Sunday, you know, we'd have like three hundred names written down on there. Right, and, and then was, by Tuesday, you're you know, someone was threatening to kick you out of school. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I was I was thinking about that today, and I was like. Well, I think most of the things I would put on the FU list would also kind of get put on the thank you list because this this entire perspective adjusting year of 2020, it's like, yeah, I hate everything, but it's also made me love everything exponentially. So maybe the thank you FU list would just be one long list on the yeah. top, obviously being COVID-19. Yeah, I got no thanks for COVID-19. <laughs> I'm ready to boot that thing into the sun. Uh, top of my FU list for sure. Uh, on my thankful list, you know, I just wanted to say, uh, and I know we say this stuff every year, but I, I don't know that I've ever meant it more than now. I'm genuinely thankful that I work with you guys. We have so I, I know all, uh, all three of us have so many friends that are in working situations where everything sucks, you know, and so much of our job sucks right now. But um, knowing that, you know, two of my closest friends in the world and, you know, guys I consider family are going through it with me and that we're like every time I'm anxious about something, I'm texting with JJ and then I feel better about it. I'm calling Tyler and we're working through what our stories are going to be and I feel better about it. So I'm really genuinely grateful that um, unlike in some employment circumstances we've had in the past or maybe talking to a boss or someone might have been a stressful situation, um, knowing that the three of us are going through it together and that the community has been supporting us um, has brought me a real like deep-seated peace um, and calm through this otherwise uh, pretty horrible professional time, obviously. Yeah, I definitely want to echo that, Mike. Uh, I picked a weird time for the reunion uh, in March to uh, to cover two sporting events and then get none of what I was expecting really from, from this job, but it was really nice um, on a day-to-day -day basis to be able to, you know, know that, that we're going to hop on a zoom and we can, you know, we can BS a little bit about whatever's going on in the world. And, but then also, you know, come back to talking sports and, and sharing memories, you know, it's looking at those five, six, two classics and stuff that, that we get to do and reliving all the, not, not just the glory days for the athlete, you know, our favorite athletes, but you know, all the, thinking of all the time we spent recording and, and working on, um, you know, highlights and, and stories we were really excited about or amazing photos that, you know, one of our, our talented photographers got, you know, all the, all those memories are, are great to, to hold on to. And, you know, I'm excited to make more of those, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm thankful to obviously be working and, you know, to have a, a support system of, of friends and family, you know, I haven't been able to sit down and spend too much time with my mom during these past, uh, eight months, but, um, you know, it's, it just gives you perspective, you know, and you, you know, it could, could really always be worse. And, you know, as we've talked about on this episode and, and other episodes and, and looking at all the, the cases and the hospitalizations and, and the death here, not just in America, but across the world, you know, it's a, it's a perspective shifter, like, like JJ said, and, you know, it's, you know, it's oftentimes really the little things. Um, 
so yeah, we're, uh, we're working together. We're trying to get through it and, and, and doing our best to stay positive. You know, it's uh, positive and everything except your test results. Uh, yeah, I couldn't thank the city of Long Beach enough for everything it's given me, but obviously, especially this year, uh, the support, like Mike said, uh, people just getting on board with us not writing sports anymore. You know, I mean, obviously, we're writing about people who are athletes, but they're not games and they're not highlights. And, and people have continued to come back to the website for the information to feel like a community. We need that more than ever. Local news matters, all that stuff like it's it's real. And we are feeling it. And we want you guys to feel a little bit of that love too. So thank you to everybody who's a Patreon subscriber, who has ever given, donated to the562.org. This is for Long Beach. It's by Long Beach. And we need Long Beach now more than ever. So thank you guys. And honestly, please stay safe out there. Really, honestly, stay safe. Wear your masks this week. Uh, do as much social distancing as you possibly can. I am coming to you live from the middle of nowhere. Literally in the desert. It is distance from society. I just, I, just, I just decided to force quit on the whole thing for a couple of days. And, uh, and, and, I, and I hope that people are taking the same uh, precautions because, you know, this thing is serious. And, uh, and hopefully we can get rid of it over the next few months through a variety of ways. We can get back on the field. We can get back on the courts. We can get back to being a Long Beach sports community because that's what we love so much. So thank you, guys. We will talk to you soon. Enjoy the week off. Send your family virtual hugs and kisses. And we'll talk to you soon.